Welcome to Now Appalachia, hosted by author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Barker. This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. And now, Appalachia. And hello, friends. We welcome you once again to Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue to bring you the outstanding authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and talk about how those Appalachian influences impact the writing and the work that they are producing and sharing with you, the audience. I'm Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us for another episode of our program. And as always, we're coming to you uh, from the outskirts of the University of Mississippi or Old Miss in Oxford, Mississippi. So we're delighted to uh, be close to campus and delighted to bring you another episode of Now Appalachia here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And I am so excited to talk to our guest today because her book is one of the best books I have read all year long. And many of you know I read a lot just not only for this program, but just uh, for my own leisure. And the book that we're going to talk about today is one of the best books I have read and if you have not read it yet, you've got to put this book on your to-be-read pile because you will not be disappointed. And the name of that book is Songbirds and Stray Dogs. And our guest today is author Megan Lucas. And Megan is a Canadian who found her home in the mountains of North Carolina. She was born and raised on a small island in northern Ontario. And now she lives with her husband and their children in Hendersonville, North Carolina. She earned a English and creative writing degree uh, from... Uh, Wilf Wilford Laurier University. She got her master's degree in curriculum and instruction from Ferris State University and also holds an MA in English and Creative Writing from Southern New Hampshire University. And she currently teaches uh, English and Creative Writing at Asheville Technical Community College. Her stories have been published in a variety of journals, including Four Tiers Literary Journal, Santa Fe Writers Project, the same literary journal, Barron Magazine, and still the journal, among others. She won the 2017 Scythe Prize for Fiction. She was also the runner-up in the 2017 SNHU Fall Fiction Competition. And the book that we're going to be talking about today, Songbirds and Stray Dogs, which was published by Main Street Rag Publishing in August of 2019, won the Best Debut Novel at the 2020 Indie Book Awards and was also a finalist in the Best General Fiction category. And this is a book that I am so excited to talk to Megan about today because I loved it so much and it's such a fantastic story. So Megan, welcome to Now Appalachia. Good to have you here on the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Elliot. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you. Well, we're glad to have you. And I love this book. There are so many things about your book that I loved. So many things that I thought about a long time after I got to the very last page, the characters, the story, the circumstances, so many things to get into uh, the book with you about today. And I wanted to ask you first about a quote that I noted that really got my attention. And I think this quote kind of sets up everything that we're going to see in the story in terms of what happens to your characters and the circumstances that they're dealing with. And you write this quote, and I'll ask you just to give us some context and kind of what you were going for with this particular language. And you say, uh, early on in the story, you say, whatever it is you're running from, you're here now. You're safe. Don't let it catch up to you by dwelling on it. So what did you mean by that, and what does that help us see in terms of what's going to happen uh, to the characters and to the circumstances they're going to be in in your story? 
I'm so glad that you love that quote because I, I think it's really fitting and it's an excellent sort of summary of the story um, without giving away too much because I've heard that it's a page turner and so I don't want to lose any, ruin anybody's suspense. Um, but basically from the back of the book you would know that Jolene is our main character and she's a young woman who has found herself in a really difficult situation. Um, she's been abandoned by her mother. She lives with a very conservative sort of spinster aunt and she has, um, she's pregnant accidentally. And the father of the baby has decided that he doesn't uh, want to take responsibility for it. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And so she all of a sudden uh, has nothing. And um, she decides that she's just going to do what she can to get on her own two feet and she heads to the mountains and um she runs into some some friends who help and some friends who don't help um and in this in this scene she's talking to a, a woman named ruby who has sort of her own uh background and and troubles and ruby's is sort of explaining to her that she needs to kind of pick herself up and brush herself off and and you know grab life, I guess, by the britches, um, because you can't, you can't just live in fear. You can't let yourself be defined by your past. And I think that that's really captures the idea of the novel that whatever you're coming from and, uh, whatever's happened to you in the past doesn't define you now. And it doesn't uh, necessarily set your path and that you have the ability, uh, to sort of brush yourself off and dump that baggage and move forward. Um, if you can, if, if you can kind of pull it together. Excellent. And Jolene is a, is a wonderful character because we see her going through so much, as you mentioned, the pregnancy, uh, she basically gets kicked out. The father, as you mentioned, doesn't want anything to do with her and the baby. And now she finds herself having to chart sort of a new path forward. And you kind of interweave her story or intertwine her story with another character who I loved. Uh, and his name is Chuck. And he is a man who didn't really want to be a father figure, or didn't expect to kind of adopt this role of a father figure, but he's forced to take care of his nephew, Cash, uh, and find a way to protect his sister. So he's got a lot going on. Tell us a little bit about Chuck and kind of how his story is running a parallel track to what's happening to Jolene. Right. Everybody loves Chuck. Oh, that's, that's all I hear from readers is how much they loved Chuck. And I'm glad, I'm really, really glad that they love Chuck. Um, he is, you know, a character. Uh, and I think one that we all know is he's a guy who, who made some poor decisions at the end of high school or in college, got himself in trouble, um, but had a bit of a reckoning moment. And, and for Chuck, it was his, his parents past. And he all of a sudden um, realized, I think the, the idea that, that we life, you know, doesn't always give you lemonade. Um, and so he had to sort of pick himself up, but uh, his sister wasn't able to do the same thing. And so he now has custody of his nephew, even though that wasn't really his plan. And so Chuck is this sort of, I think he's a really fun character and a really um, endearing character, but also also empathetic. Like we can, we all know this guy, right? He's, he's big and he's rough, but he's got this heart of gold and he'd do anything for you. Um, even though he, he might've been scary in the past. He's, he's not anymore. And uh, we're, I think we're all very happy when his path crosses Jolene's. 
Very good. Oh, absolutely. And it's really a pivotal moment when their paths do cross and it really kind of sets the story forward for what's going to happen to both of those characters later, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about a little bit later. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, one thing that really struck out or stood out to me and struck me about your novel is how important setting was. And I know that for a lot of Appalachian writers, setting is so important. And I know you live kind of in the, in the foothills and the mountains of North mm-hmm. Carolina now. And so you're around that environment every day. A lot of Appalachian writers are, and they kind of work that into their story. But setting is really an important ingredient in your story. And as I was reading your book, you know, it's set in the, in the South in the 1980s. But it felt to me kind of like a typical Appalachian community in an Appalachian town in terms of, a lot of the cultural mores and a lot of the expectations and a lot of the ways that people relate to one another in the town could very easily have been set in the 1960s and 70s or maybe even further back. Um, so can you talk a little bit about setting and the, the importance of that and how you set that up in the novel and how much of that is based on what you perceive to be kind of Appalachian viewpoints today in terms of, we hear this, this expression all the time that Appalachia is always 10, 15, 20 years behind the movements of current life and current times. How much of that kind of was uh, a factor in the way that you set up setting in this particular book? Sure. I, I'm glad that you found that this setting was really important because it, it was important to me. Um, you know, I, I read a lot of Appalachian writers um, David Joy and Ron Rash and, and Wiley Cash and um, Charles Frazier and you know I, I, those are the are the guys that I love and their work is so it can only take place here and so I, I really felt like whatever I was going to write could only take place here but some of it really the sort of like spark moment of this story was that I was in a coffee shop here in Hendersonville North Carolina which is you know Appalachia and I overheard a conversation between a young woman and a gentleman who were sitting behind me and she was um, pregnant and was explaining to him that it was his and he was adamant that it was not his and of course I uh, my writer brain and I was just like oh how how could this be worse how could this be worse and and I have small children and at the time my children were even smaller and so I, I felt very you know empathetic towards her and oh my goodness like this poor girl like her life is so changing Um, and so really the whole idea of it happened here. And these are people that I live with and people, you know, I see in the grocery store and my kids go to school with and I work with and they're my students. And so it really, it really had to take place here as for timeline. Well, that that's tiny bit, um, nostalgia. It takes place in 1982, which was the year that I was born. So I wanted to play a little bit with that idea, um, you know, that, that maybe Jolene is a little bit like my mom, you know, in that way that, you know, I could kind of use my mom as research, like what was it like when this happened and that kind of stuff. Um, but also I'm a, maybe a tiny bit lazy as a writer and, you know, technology has really changed how we write thrillers and anything with suspense. And when you put something in the eighties, you don't have to worry about the internet or cell phones, you know, quite as much. Everybody's life, I think, was a little bit more local, and now it's not. And so I, I really liked that idea of, of creating this really insular story where it really only takes place between these few people because they don't have the internet and they don't have cell phones. And, and, and so it, it creates, I think, a nicer sort of small town feel. And it also kind of works in some of those small town ingredients in terms of gossip and 
people oh. saying, oh, I saw so-and-so with so-and-so, and kind of like you're talking about the example that you overheard in the coffee shop. I mean, I mean that's a real conversation that yeah. you know is going to trickle out into the community because people are going to hear about that. That's just kind of how small towns in Appalachia work, and I think you, you got that done so well in the story with those characters. Oh, thank you. So I wanted to ask you about, we talked a moment ago about sort of these parallel stories. We're following Chuck and Jolene's stories. In terms of how you structured that in the book, did you write most of Jolene's scenes first uh, and then all of Chuck's scenes sort of uh, in solitude in terms of doing all those first? Or did you jump back and forth as you were putting the draft together in terms of alternating between her story and Chuck's story? How did all of that come together? And what were some of the challenges you faced in trying to tell this similar story from two different perspectives, but where everybody kind of comes together uh, for common purposes in the middle? Sure. Um, when I started, I really just drafted all of Jolene's chapters and then all the majority of the chapters after they came together. And then I realized that Chuck was really like a, a bigger, more important character. And so I had these like little flashbacks from him um, in the end of the book, but they really, you know, I, I'm not a fan of flashback. I think it sucks out a lot of the tension. Um, and so I, I decided that he needed his own chapters. And so I wrote his own chapters. And, and at first I had kind of um, done a more alternating structure, which I think we see a little bit more like, you know, Jolene gets one, Chuck gets one back and forth. But then I started bumping into these very unsexy author problems of, oh no, Jolene has more chapters than Chuck. How do I balance that? How do I make this timeline work? Um, and so I just, I decided, oh, screw that. I'm going to put all of Jolene, I'm gonna get her to a spot where you're worried about her. Then I'm gonna do all of Chuck and I'm gonna get you to a spot where you're worried about him. And then we'll see what happens. You know, it's a little bit of, I like that tension. Um, I hate books that when you get to a chapter and, you, and you're in bed and it's midnight and you're like, eh, yeah, I'm just gonna go to bed. Like, I don't want that when you read my book. I want you to get to an end of a chapter. I want it to be midnight and I want you to decide that it does not matter if you sleep ever again, that you are gonna finish this book. <laughs> well, I can tell you as one of those readers, I certainly was that reader. I sat down uh, and read your story uh, over a course of a weekend. I did sleep a little bit but I did not get any of my adulting chores and responsibilities done. The laundry did not get done. The dishes did not get done. The pets did not get a bath. Nothing happened that weekend except reading your book. So oh, thank uh, you. you accomplished that very, very well. Uh, Megan Smith is our guest here on Now Appalachia. We're talking to her today about her new novel, Songbirds and Stray Dogs. And Megan, we'll come back to the book in uh, just a moment. But I wanted to ask you on a personal level, how did you get from Canada to North Carolina? That's a, it's kind of an interesting question. I, um, I, I did my undergrad at Wilfrid Laurier, which is in Southern Ontario. So I moved from, I grew up in Northern Ontario and I moved to Southern Ontario for my undergrad. And then I went to grad school in Michigan um, to be a teacher. And I fully was planning to go back to Ontario and teach uh, middle school students. And then I met Josh Lucas and who's my husband and, um, you know, paths changed and got married and we were in Michigan and um, I, I wanted to be a teacher and the economy, of course, it was 2008 and things were not so good in Michigan. And so we came to North Carolina um, for the weather because man, weather is awesome here and uh, hopefully a teaching job. And, and my husband's work was excited that he was going to be here. And 
we just fell in love with Asheville because if you've been to Asheville, you know why we fell in love with Asheville. It's just this beautiful, diverse, um, really culturally rich city uh, in the mountains here. And it, it was just a gorgeous place with such friendly people. And we we're like, that's the place. So we're in Hendersonville, with it, which is just a little bit south of Asheville because uh, it has a little bit, well, it has cheaper real estate, but it also has a little <laughs> bit more of a small town feel, which we were excited about for uh, building a family. Yeah, and Asheville, North Carolina, one of my favorite cities, and you're right, it's a great place to live, great place to be, and especially a great place for a writer to live. If you're mm. looking for opportunities oh and inspiration gosh. and cultural uh, experiences, it is a great place to live. So you, you touched on it a minute ago, some writers that, that influence you. You mentioned Ron Rash, you mentioned David Joy is a couple of writers that you t tend to read uh, mm -hmm. for inspiration in terms of getting ideas for setting and how important setting is uh, in Appalachian stories. Who are some other writers that influence you or impact you? Um, well, definitely Flannery, you know, um, Flannery O'Connor, I love. And then, you know, I, I like to lean on some, some Canadian writers. Like I, I love Margaret Atwood and I love Margaret Lawrence and I love Alice Monroe. Um, but it was really, it was Wiley Cash's A Land More Kind Than Home that when I read it, I thought, oh my gosh, like, I, I want to be a writer. And then um, Taylor Brown, who uh, was so kind and, and blurbed my book. Every book that that man writes is just a, a piece of poetry. It's so, it's so beautiful. And while it's not, you know, solely Appalachian, because he has such breadth, you know, he can write about anything and make it interesting. Um, I really love Taylor's work, too. Um, and I guess, too, I've been really getting into a little bit more um, crime fiction, like Steph Post. She writes a, a Florida noir, and she's got just some killer stuff. And I just, I read so much. It's kind of like you're asking me to pick my favorite child. But um, I, I think it's important to read broadly, but I do kind of always weasel my way back to that, like, Appalachian, you know, um, lit fic. Like, um, Leia Hampton has a new book that's coming out. I'm not sure if I can see the, the title of it on your show. It's called um, Fuckface. And it is, it's going to be out, I think this week. And I just, I'm so excited about it. And we just, we have such great writers here in Appalachia that uh, it's, you could read only Appalachian books and, and your library would be full. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. And we do, we have so many wonderful writers that are, uh, in the Wiley Cash, David Joy, Ron Rash era and dimension. Mm -hmm. And we have so many other writers that are below them that are churning out such great work. Uh, it really is a, a wonderful area of literature to explore. And I know in reading your bio and doing some research on you and in talking to you, and you touched on this too a minute ago, you do like to read a lot and <laughs> you read all the time. So how many books a week would you say you read? And what is the value in reading so much for a writer? Uh, I'm aiming this year for six books a month, but I am currently 11 books ahead. So I, I think I'm about two a week right now. Um, I think it gives you the tools, right? I, one of the things, uh, that makes me cringe is when I, you know, I, I teach creative writing and my students tell me that they don't have time to read. If, and I, I want to tell them, like, if you don't have time to read, then you don't have time to write because you don't have the tools. And it's really hard, um, I think, especially once you have written, to know what to do with your writing if you don't know who you're like 
Uh, and so reading gives you that too, right? Not, not only do you get the tools to create something amazing, but after you've created something amazing, you know how to market it. Uh, you know, cause there's nothing quite like someone telling you that they have, you know, they've written the next great American novel and it's about, you know, vampires and werewolves and nobody's ever done this before. And it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I think it, it keeps you smart. It makes you a better writer, but it also makes you a much more savvy marketer and advocate for your own work, which we all know you have to, you have to be able to do that. Absolutely. You're listening to Now Appalachia here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We're talking to Megan Lucas about her latest novel, Songbirds and Stray Dogs. It's an outstanding book. It was the winner of the Best Debut Novel at the 2020 Indie Book Awards and was also a finalist in the Best General Fiction category. So, Megan, let's go back to your book for a few minutes. And I wanted to go back to Jolene as a character. We started our interview talking a little bit about her. One of the things I really like about her is and what you do with her is in a short amount of time, she really develops as a character. You really kind of put her through a, a variety of difficult circumstances that would challenge anybody. But we see her kind of uh, a little naive at the beginning when she finds out that she's pregnant and she just assumes that the, that the boyfriend is going to stick around and everything's just going to kind of go on as normal. We see her go from that to where she does get this, this sense of desperation. She is desperate because now she's kicked out and she's on her own. But that kind of turns around at the end of the story and turns into strength. She sort of has this quiet uh, internal fortitude that propels her forward. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, imbuing her with those characteristics to help her kind of start off, you know, uh, naive and kind of weak at the beginning, but, but strong in the end. And how you, what, um, what was the, the, the way that you did that and, and how did you set that up so that we can kind of get her from, you know, young and naive to strong and willful at the end. Sure. I, well, I think that, um, I've heard that your first novel is awfully autobiographical. And while none of the things that have happened to Jolene have happened to me specifically, um, I really identify with her as a, as a person. Um, I was raised in a, a very conservative religious background and I found myself, you know, in, in college and out in the world, uh, a little naive compared to my peers. And so that, that wasn't hard to write, you know, the sort of that feeling of sort of constantly being surprised at um, some of the rougher and grittier sides of the world because you've been so protected from that. Um, and so that's, you know, what she's, what she's going through and it's not that she's stupid and it's not that she um, is weak. She's just been so sheltered that she doesn't know how to roll with those punches yet. And so, you know, then she gets punched a few times and she has to sort of learn a new normal, right. And, and discovers that all of these sort of things that she's been developing to learn to deal with her previous demons, she can kind of use those same strengths to, to deal with future ones. But, you know, one of the sort of core tenets of Jolene is, is this idea of service. And I think that, you know, anyone who has been raised in the church can, can kind of uh, understand that, the idea that your works and what you do are often mean a lot more than what you say. And it's also a really good way to um, save your place right? That if you can be useful, that people won't get rid of you. And so, you know, I think that she has 
been abandoned so many times in her early life that she has discovered that being useful and being helpful and being hardworking is, is the way to sort of save herself. And it's funny uh, because I am Canadian and I, I moved to the South and, and I've been able, you know, to kind of view uh, Southern Appalachian culture uh, from outside. I can't get over how often I see these same characteristics in the women here where, you know, I think that that sort of idea of service um, comes across in, you know, our mamas who always want to feed us and do our laundry and take care of us and, and just, you know, they're maybe a tiny bit overbearing, but useful. And that, you know, you always have a place in your life for your mama because she's important because she does all these things for you. And it's interesting. I think that we can see that in, in Appalachian and, and Southern women, this idea that how useful they are has a lot to do with um, security and safety within a family. So where does the title songbirds and stray dogs come from? That um, is a, a piece of a Pat Conroy novel that I stole. It's from Beach Music. Um, and in the front of the book, uh, there's a little epigraph um, from Pat that says, Eternal life seemed especially sweet to folk who had eaten songbirds and stray dogs for dinner and who tried to coax measly crops from fields more granite than loam. And I was on vacation in Beaufort um, because my family loves to go there. And I, of course, bought a Pat Conroy novel in Beaufort because you have to. And it was beach music. And I was reading this on vacation while I was writing my novel. And I was struggling with a title because we're always struggling for a title. And I just thought, holy shit, that's it. Like it, it fits so perfectly where it ties in the idea of religion and poverty and legacy and families. Um, and it just fit all so neatly together. Um, and then I had a very, very apt reviewer, um, the well-read beard, who who really pointed out how Jolene and Cash are, are stray dogs, that they'd sort of been kicked out on their own, but they're sort of also turned into songbirds because of how beautiful and um, important and, and graceful they are to the other people in the book. And I just thought, it's nice when a reader gets what you're doing, <laughs> even if you don't know what you're doing. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it fit. And of course, you know, I love Pat Conroy uh, so much and, and was very, his, um, his widow bought a copy of a book at the Dahlonega Lit Fest from me. And we had a really nice conversation about him. And it was just, man, when you can talk to book people about your book and about other people's books. Yeah. Should have just started crying right there. It was, I nearly lost it. Yeah. I mean, you and I've had a very, very similar experience and you and I both love Pat Conroy. And I think he's the, he, he's the writer from our generation that made me want to be a writer and I became a writer and I've, I've had a chance to meet his wife also, Cassandra, who's a lovely person yeah. and she's so generous with her time and she loves to talk about her husband and will answer any question that you have as a writer and a reader about her husband. Yeah. She's just a terrific person. And uh, I'm so glad that you got that opportunity uh, oh, to talk with it her. Was wonderful. So I want to ask you one more question about your book without giving too much away, because I love this about the story as well. We have a satisfying conclusion at the end, but there's a little bit of mystery there too. Everything's not sort of, wrapped up tightly with a little bow put on top. You know, you, your mind can wander a little bit. There's some unanswered questions uh, at the end of the story. So I wanted to know 
in your writing process, is that something you set out to do originally with the draft, or is that something that uh, sort of developed as you were going through the revision and editing process, sort of this, uh, there is an ending, but, you know, you, you could also wander and wonder a few things uh, that maybe weren't resolved or weren't explicitly stated in the conclusion. I, that's intentional. And I'm glad that you liked it, because I know that not everybody does. Um, but as you mentioned at the beginning in my bio, I write a lot of short stories. And I think that idea is really um, a short story idea where you give the reader the opportunity to bring a lot of their own sort of ideas and assumptions to the story. And um, I think I have a smart reader. I think the reader can pick up on subtlety and they can figure it out and it's way more fun for them to figure it out and decide what they think than for me to spell every single detail out at the end. That always kind of bothers me when I get to the end of a story and then they treat me like I'm dumb and tell me everything. Yeah. And it's like, so I, I think some of that is, you know, uh, sort of my leanings into short story writing. And a lot of it is just my own preference as a reader, you know, that I don't want to be treated um, like I'm dumb. I don't want to be told everything. But yeah, I, I, I intentionally left some gray. Um, it also allows me to um, kind of do uh, like what Silas House has done with, you know, picking up characters from this book and writing other books about those characters. And uh, I think that I, I have some plans to do that. And, and that gives me the ability to do it, right? Because if you sort of like tell everyone exactly what happens to everyone, at the end of a novel, you sort of wipe out some of that ability to, to carry on with any of those stories. Very well said. So what is Megan Lucas working on next? I'm, I'm currently, oh my goodness, one week now away from having a really messy <clears throat> second draft of my next novel. And it takes place in upstate South Carolina um, for part of it. And it takes place in Cashers. Uh, which is just west of here, North Carolina, for part of it. And uh, it's a story about a legacy of three women, uh, a grandmother, a mother, and a daughter, and how decisions that they made in their pasts uh, kind of haunt a family and how they show up through the ages and, and what effects that might have and, and those tangled webs and those, you know, closet skeletons that we thought were firmly buried, you know, behind grandma's old quilts, uh, what happens when they come out. And it, it's been really fun to, uh, to work on. It's tentatively called Mercy, but that's just because I always call all my books by the main character's first name. <laughs> like, Songbirds <laughs> was Jolene for a really long time. Um, so it's called Mercy currently, but I, I'm betting that will change. Fantastic. Well, we're looking forward to that. It sounds like a great story and we can't wait uh, for that to get published as well. So Megan, in our final moments with you today, if someone wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about writing, to talk to you about your process or anything related to your career, um, how can they do that? First of all, how can they get in contact with you? And also where can they get copies of Songbirds and Stray Dogs? Cool. The best way to reach me is, is honestly on Facebook or Twitter. Um, Megan Smith Lucas or Megan Lucas author on Facebook um, or Megan MGN LCS Megan Lucas without any vowels on Twitter. You can just, if you Google me, my faith, my webpage will come up. I'm very easy to find and I love to hear from people. 
best place to get my book is directly from my publisher. That's MainStreetRagBookstore.com. But you can also get it from either of my favorite indies, Malaprops uh, or City Lights books in, in Silva. And that's for paperbacks. You can also get me on Amazon for paperback and ebook, uh, which is kind of fun. You know, now with COVID and everybody's worried about getting stuff in their mailbox, there's also that like immediateness, which is nice with an ebook, right? Like you think about it right now and then it's in front of you. Um, so you can find me on Amazon. Fantastic, fantastic. Megan Lucas has been our guest here today on Now Appalachia. We're talking to her and have been talking to her about not only her writing career, but about her outstanding novel, Songbirds and Stray Dogs. It was the winner of the 2020 Indie Book Award for Best Debut Novel and also a finalist in the Best General Fiction category. Folks, this is a novel you have to read. Be sure you read this novel. Put it in your to be read pile, or better yet, do exactly as Megan said, download that ebook right now before you forget, and get this in your reading queue, because you are going to love it, you are not going to be disappointed, it's going to be a story that not only will you enjoy, but it is going to leave you thinking long after you're finished about Jolene, about Cash, about all the characters, and about their circumstances, and what it means to be and from uh, be someone from Appalachian, someone currently living in Appalachia, or someone that has uh, Appalachian connections. So Megan, congratulations to you on the book. Well, congratulations on your awards. Well-deserved. It's a fantastic novel. And uh, as you get that second book published, we can't wait to have you back on Now Appalachia to talk about it. So congratulations. Oh, thanks, Elliot. I'd be super excited to come back and chat with you. And we want to take a moment as we finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special shout out and a thanks to the executive producer of Now Appalachia. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate all the work that she does behind the scenes to bring this podcast to you each and every time. Uh, on Now Appalachia and on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And she's also responsible for all the other podcasts by all of the other fantastic hosts that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. She does so much to make sure everything runs smoothly for us as hosts and for you as our listeners. And we appreciate all the support uh, that she gives us. A reminder, you can find our podcast, Now Appalachia, anywhere you like to hear podcasts. Easiest place to start, follow us on Facebook. We have a Now Appalachia page on Facebook. From there, we link you to SoundCloud, Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and all of those other places that you like to download podcasts. So wherever you like to listen to podcasts from whatever platform, you can download and stay in contact with us right here uh, on Now Appalachia. And to that end, we also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That's going to do it for us this time. And until next time, I'm your host, Elliot Parker. Stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. As from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.